Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, is bitterness better, do you think? You know, there's an old saying that people used to say a lot when I was growing up, is they would say, either life makes you bitter or better. That made me bitter. That's a bad thing to say to somebody. <laughs> life makes you bitter or better. But today we're going to be talking about love versus bitterness. And bitterness, my friends, if you don't think that it's a big deal, it's not because uh, God hasn't told us so. It's a big deal for God. Because a life that is filled with bitterness is a life that is continually being held down by an ideology or some type of methodology, this attitude that keeps us from fully, fully trusting God and enjoying what God has for us. Bitterness, my friends, is not better. Bitterness is the worst, and bitterness will keep us from fully experiencing what God wants for us. Over in the book of Matthew, there's a, a story, a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18, if you were to look it up later. But he, he said there was a, there was a, a kingdom of heaven. is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settle with a man who owned him, get this, 10,000 bags of gold. So those of you who are worried about the stock market right now, this this guy owed him a lot of gold. And so he begged him. He's like, no, forgive me. And he's like, no, I'm going to throw you and your family and everybody into jail until you pay what you owe me. Well, that type of exaggerated number lets us know that there would be no way he could ever repay that debt. Well, something happens. He begged him. And he asked for mercy. And when he asked for mercy, the king said, sure, I'll forgive you. Go. Can you imagine being forgiven that kind of debt? I mean, a big, huge debt. Can you imagine the IRS calling you up and saying, you know, that 400 grand that you owed us, eh, we'll catch you next time. You'd be blown away. It should change your attitude immensely. But he tells the story to highlight the very nature of this person, his servant. Because immediately he left, okay, and what happened? He went out and found a fellow servant, an equal, who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him. He said, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. But he refused and instead handed him over to the jailer until he had paid everything that he had owed. Well, word got back to the king. And the king said, bring that guy in here. And he said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, 
his master, the king, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Yes, it's in the Bible. Until he should pay back what he owed. This is how the heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is a message about forgiveness, but we're going to look at the root of all of it, which is bitterness. Bitterness taints everything. And what happens with bitterness, it doesn't allow you to see things through a joyous, giving, grace-filled life. It taints all of it. And so what does that mean? What it means for us is this, is that God says, and this, you can find this all the way through the New Testament, and we can't get around it. We, we believe that God forgives us, and we want God to forgive us, Right? But he means business when he's talking about forgiveness. Don't, don't think, you're going to tell a story, Jesus illustrates nice Jesus that the Sunday school kids like? Yes. This Jesus said, this is what the Heavenly Father will do toward you. You go, wow, that's tough. I know. Have you read your Bible lately? There's a lot of tough stuff in there. So, he says, it's if you're unwilling to forgive, if you are so committed to bitterness as a lifestyle, as a manner of relating to the world, this is what's going to happen, okay? He says, you will become imprisoned in that environment. And it does feel like a prison. It's like living in a cell. That's a, that's a life filled with bitterness. There's loneliness, okay? A bitter person's a very lonely person. I, I saw... Uh, a video the other day that was pretty charming. Um, it was a, a mom with her small child, and the mom was trying to educate the child and yet somehow post this online or send it to grandparents. But she said, Honey, if a stranger walks up to you and says, I'm a friend of your mother, what do you say? And so we're thinking, you know, the kid's going to say, Oh, I don't know you. And I'm sure my mom didn't send you and leave. Well, the daughter said, Mom, you don't have any friends. (laughs) Bitterness. Bitterness. Okay. Loneliness, isolation, lack of close friends, hopelessness. Bitterness calls us into hopelessness because it sees everything as trashed and mangled and maligned. And always believing that they are treated unfairly. This wasn't fair. Life isn't fair to me. How come other people get to enjoy this stuff, but I don't get to enjoy it? And they oblivious to the needs of all of the people around them. Such was this servant who had been forgiven a great debt immediately goes and tries to strangle someone and has them thrown into jail. Usually, they're unaware that they're in a cell in a prison itself. Bitterness is like a prison, captured and held captive by Satan in your own sinful nature. All right. Bitterness, it's the root that bites. There's nothing so dangerous, I would say, for me growing up. I mean, there's a lot of dangerous things, but um, growing up in a farming community, having dogs and cats and various animals. There's nothing so dangerous as an animal who has been wounded, right? 
Something that's been wounded. Like I, I've had... <laughs> okay. We had dogs who roamed free in our country town. And my dogs tend to guard my house, so when a car drove by, they would bark at the, the car and chase it. Not the most intelligent dogs, you know, keeping us safe from the cars driving by. But inevitably, one of my, my favorite dog, Pete, he was a fantastic dog. And he got in front of the bumper, and my friend ran over him. And it was like a slow, like 10 mile an hour kind of run over. And he's, he's laying out in the street just howling and yelping and in so much pain. And I went up to him to help him. And many of you have experienced this. You know what I'm talking about. Is that I, I, I went up to help him and I realized he started to try to bite me. Anytime I tried to touch him, he wanted to bite me because he was scared and he was in pain. Okay? This, I think, gives us indications as to what a person who's dealing with bitterness, at least the roots of it. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 15, says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Cause trouble and defile many. There's a couple of words that are used here in the New Testament, highlighted in James as well as Ephesians and here in Hebrews. The first is picross. Picross means bitter or bitterness, and it's used to indicate wild fruits or wild vines or bitter gourds that are so excessively bitter and acrid that they become kind of a poison. That's when we think of bitterness. Any of you had Folgers coffee lately? Bitterness, bitterness. If that offends you, good. It's time that somebody told you the truth. <laughs> There's better coffee out there. Get that freeze-dried stuff out of the basement. It's great. You just add some hot water and you got coffee. That's not coffee. Bitterness, okay, metaphorically, it means to be cruel and malignant, indicating harsh or cruel feelings. The, the, the other is the feminine expression, which is uh, pikria, which means, in, in this case, in Hebrews, it means this root of bitterness. It means a person whose whole life and behavior is now so offensive to God, okay, it's also very obnoxious to men. Bitterness, in this sense, is bitter anger, a bitter of reproach of language, a bitterness of speech. That's the, that's the idea. That's how this garbage spreads. It spreads through speech. And if a heart is bent on bitterness and filled with bitterness, what happens is, is that the speech that comes from that heart begins to spew out that bitterness. And here's what happens. It, we fall short of the grace and the goodness and the luxury of being in God's presence. And all of a sudden, we're now people who are spreading garbage and it can take you over. Any VeggieTales fans here? Some heavy content in theology and uh, VeggieTales, but 
they, they had this one particular show called The Rumor Weed. And when I think of this, I think of The Rumor Weed. It just spread everywhere, and it was a weed and didn't do any good. And this root, this bitter root that can be found in any human being, okay, is something that, is, that can bite Okay, the, the, the word there, picros, uh, the, the, the stem of that word means to bite. To bite. All right? Now, here's the symptoms. Poor relations. Poor relationships. A person who's bitter, if you're bitter this morning, you have some poor relationships. There's a lack of personal peace. Why? Because a person who is constantly being embittered and embittering others is lacking completely in any type of peace. There's a constant dissatisfaction with life. There's complaining. It's a lifestyle of anger and resentment. I can remember one day I was in a parking lot in Taos. It was a Walmart parking lot, and there was a four-door sedan, and there was this father, and he had three kids in the car with him, most of them teenage, maybe early 20s. And he started yelling before he got to the car. And I hadn't seen that type of bitterness and anger in another human being. It, was, it felt demonic and satanic. And his kids were just putting their head down. And he started saying what pieces of no good garbage they were. And, and just was going off. And I thought, I can't imagine... Imagine living in that environment. So when God says, hey, bitterness is terrible. Bitterness is destructive. You better believe it because he knows where it comes from and the effect that it has on people's lives. Okay, they live with no sense of forgiveness, not merciful, not kind, not loving, suspicious of everybody's actions. Quick to lay blame on other people. Blame shifters. If someone lays the blame on them, they're able to shift it off onto somebody else. And they often use manipulation to get what they want. Why? Because they do not care about the needs of anybody but their self. Here's the point. A person who is filled with bitterness is a person, okay, who judges every person, every event, everything in life by how it affects me. And if things don't work out right, it's just fulfillment. I knew it wasn't going to work out this way. I knew that it was going to be wrong. And therefore, they're able, once again, proving that bitterness is better because bitterness tells the truth. Oh, your lovey-dovey pie-in-the-sky forgiveness Why would I forgive a person like them? They haven't repented. They haven't done what they're supposed to do. As if you're the example and the judge. That's Jesus' point in that parable. He says, okay, here you go. The king, God, forgives you a debt that you cannot forgive. Someone else has wronged you. Instead of that gift making you more loving and kind and say, hey, You don't owe me anything. God has really blessed me, and I'm going to keep passing that on because that's the way that he wants me to be. That's how he wants me to relate to other human beings. You see, that's, that's the big issue there, isn't it? 
And that's what he's getting to. Bitterness is destructive. Destructive. In fact, I believe bitterness is the root of hatred. Of all hatred, there's some form of bitterness that's lying in wait to pounce. There's patterns. The person gets offended. Okay, then there's a sense of outrage. How could they do this to me? How can, did you hear what so-and-so said to me? There's a sense of anger. And if it's not resolved, well, there's resentments and feeling justified for being unforgiving. There's bitterness, obstinate, a horrible view of life. And worst of all, it's holding a person in hostage and holding people around that person in hostage as well. Like being under the care of a horrible prison guard who hates you. Okay, is that serious enough for you? Okay, (laughs) that's kind of intense. But bitterness finds its way out, and we see it most obviously in relationships. Marriage, husbands and wives. Okay, husbands and wives have to deal with this, don't we? Anybody say amen? Amen. We have to deal with it, you know? I mean, when you first get married, it's just like, hey, everything's groovy. Everything's great. You know what? She doesn't even mind when I throw my socks on the floor. (laughs) She's so cool. Two years later, baby in the house. Aren't you going to pick up your socks, or are you just some kind of slob that your mom kicked out of the house? There's bitterness that can happen within those relationships because you feel like you're taking advantage of me. You don't respect me. You, you're, you're not reciprocating the type of giving that I'm giving, and therefore bitterness starts up, and then you have those long weeks where you only say two or three things to each other. Good morning. Mm-hmm. How was your day? Well, that's kind of being nosy, don't you think? <laughs> Get out of my face. Families, brothers and sisters, some of the most bitter and battled people are adult brothers and sisters. At least when you're little kids, you can hit each other and your parents can separate you, but you can't do that as an adult. So nothing gets resolved. Why isn't it resolved? You've been in bitterness against this person for years. I can't hit him. Well, hire your kid to go hit him. It doesn't matter. <laughs> bitterness in the church. I grew up in church. We had these meetings every week, I mean, once a month, and people would get up and feel it's their time to, to really, you know, kick against the machine, whatever that was, and people would divide and divide and divide it becomes a way of viewing the whole world. And what are some of the causes? Well, there's deep emotional wounds. We can see that. Raised in an environment where things were really tough. A lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, a lot of abuse can cause a person to begin to view the world that way. There's feelings of helplessness. People find it hard to trust other people after they've been let down so many times. A sense even being abandoned by God, if you're a believer. Even a sense of betrayal from other people. 
And what happens is you become stuck in a lifestyle, frozen emotionally, a strong sense of shame, though you probably don't recognize it, and it's hard to fathom forgiving anyone because you keep a detailed list of the things that people have done to you. You can recall it. It's right on the desktop. It's right on the, uh, it's, it's readily available. So you can't imagine forgiving them because that person hasn't come and groveled to you. Listen, it's hard. It's hard forgiving some really horrible acts, and it's not easy to release. But I'm telling you right now, if you embrace bitterness, it's like embracing cancer. It's like taking in, it's like going up and finding a person who has COVID-19, fully symptomatic, fully viral, and going up and hugging them and kissing them on the mouth and holding them for a long time. Now, you would do that to a family member. There's that, that's, you know, every analogy breaks down, but I, I'll just say this. What do you expect? I put my hand in, I went to a, a nice uh, uh, zoo the other day, and they had all these snakes, and I just love snakes. And so I put my hand in there, and it bit me. I was going to pet it, and it bit me. Well, what did you think? Bitterness is that way. It's venomous. And it can infect the whole, your whole life. And maybe it's because, you know, this gives someone a benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe there's a, they don't have a real grasp of God's grace. They haven't experienced it themselves. Maybe they have no sense of responsibility to God personally that he requires to forgive. Maybe you say, well, this is the first time I've heard this. Maybe they're only concerned about their personal rights. They hold a sense of entitlement and have learned to live in constant conflict. Doesn't that, when I say constant conflict, doesn't that just wear you down? It makes me tired just thinking about it or saying it, okay? But what do we do about it? Say, okay, Dave, you've, you, you've described it for us, but what do we do about it? Well, you've got to pull it up by the roots, <clears throat> you have to pull it up by the roots. He says here in James chapter 3, verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let, it show, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. We'll stop there. Every evil practice is found with this root. I told you before, most of you know I'm a farm boy from West Texas. I tried to get back into Texas, but they wouldn't let me. 
<laughs> now, here's, here's how this, for me, when I see something to do with agriculture or I hear about roots, I think back to all of the work that I did as a kid. And one of the things that you did most of the time when you were working in a field is you spent time hoeing weeds. You take a blade and you chop the weeds up because the weeds don't produce anything. Their roots go down. They suck up all the nutrients and, and the water. And the plants that you mean to grow and to produce fruit cannot do it. So you have to de-weed all the time. Any of you ever seen a really big careless weed? You ever seen a careless weed? Anybody, raise your hand. Boy, nobody here from Texas. Okay, good. I don't know what the, the technical term was, but, a, but a, a careless weed, these things would get stalks on them like the size of a baseball. They're huge, like trees. It's full of just the most horrific pollen. And we pull the, you'd have to get them and pull them up by the root because you couldn't dig enough with a hoe to get them out. The only way you could extract them was to pull them out by the root. So what do we do about it? He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. James describes this type of dealing with the world, this type of um, response to our world as demonic. Something that comes from the pit of hell. So let's just think about that for a minute. You know the story of Satan and his angels? They were very close to God. He was, Satan was one of his covering angels who was near him, who saw his glory and heard everyone worshiping him, and yet there was something within him that he desired it for himself. And he caused a rebellion. And what happened? They were kicked out of heaven. They fell to the earth. And this rebellion this bitterness over what somebody else has, this covetousness, this hatred can be first found in those individuals, those demonic entities. And so Scripture is calling it out at its root and says, get rid of all bitterness, pull it out by the root, all rage, all anger, brawling, slandering, and every form of malice. Why? Because as we've seen, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God's love does not operate that way at all. It's against every principle that we find in Scripture from God Himself. That shouldn't be a part of who we are and what we do. You know, how many of you in here are wearing glasses? I can see your face, so it's kind of a joke. Anyway, I wear them. And when I have my glasses on, I see so well. Now, 
I'll admit that it's hard to keep them clean sometimes. I don't know what it is, but it seems like just everything in the universe that's sticky and gross finds its way right in here, which could say a lot about my nose or my eyes or my mouth. I don't know. But without my glasses, I don't see well. I'm not, I, it gets worse every year. And so without the lens of God's grace, without the lens of his love and his affection, without that perspective, we're blinded to what's really going on. And that, my friends, is, is the real danger of bitterness. You have a sense of, I'm right. Yeah, but you're miserable. Well, but I'm right. I'd rather be right than be happy. Okay, you have your wish. But God says no. I don't want that in my world, and I don't want that in my people. Let's get rid of it. Let's pull it out. What, so, so how do I do that? You know, can anybody, is there an obvious weed sticking out of me somewhere? Some kind of root that I need to pull out? Well, if you're serious about this, the first thing you have to do is go to God and open your heart up to the Holy Spirit's conviction in working in you. If you say, you know, I've said some things this morning that you think, okay, you know, uh, that kind of sounds like me just a little bit there. Especially sounds like uh, a member of my family. But with that said, if, if you really are tired and worn down by judging the world and everybody around you based upon how well you're treated or not, if you're tired of that, God has given us something. He's given us a root extraction thing, a way to get rid of it, and also to cleanse us from the defilement that it brings, all right? Love, love versus bitterness, love God's bar of soap. First John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What does that mean? Paul said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, none. All have gone astray, each one to his own way. That's the case of humanity. Okay? Now, he says, though, if you say that you have no sin, the truth's not in you. But verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, okay, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And this is going straight to God, okay? Now, you may have to be reconciled to somebody else, okay? Maybe you've done something that hurts somebody else and you have to go and, and try to mend that and reconcile it. But most times, it's just in your mind, okay? 
It's this feeling that you have for the other person. And it starts to grow, and it grows, and it grows. And one thing about bad roots and weeds, they do not produce fruit. But they can grow, and they can grow, and they can grow, and destroy so much. He says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word's not in us. God says, just tell me the truth. I want you to admit it to me so that I can cleanse you from that. Because I can't cleanse you from something you're not willing to admit, right? You want me to clean up those muddy shoes? Oh, these shoes are fine. They're not walking in on my carpet. Well, no, they're fine. They're perfectly fine. No, I will wash your shoes for you. Just acknowledge and be cognizant that they're dirty. So if you're dealing with bitterness, the first thing to do is to to just bring it to God. Break down. Ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I want to be broken over this because I don't want this in my life. Someone once said, it's, it's like drinking poison and praying that your enemy dies. God has promised to clean us up, to set us straight, to heal us, and to move us on. Because that's what He wants from the beginning. He wants you to be full of grace, full of joy. Peace, a peace that comes from abiding with him, a peace that's not so concerned and consumed with yourself and how other people treat you. A life that says, ah, say love you. That's good. I can let that go. I can let that go. I can forgive that. I mean, have you ever tried to, you know, like play a game? How much can you forgive? I don't know. Let's find out. How much can you forgive, Tom? Well, life is going to continue to give us opportunities to forgive. It may not necessarily just be a wrong against you. It could be an opportunity to forgive. Doesn't forgiveness feel good? It does. I love it when I'm forgiven. And I love it and I feel even better when I forgive somebody else. There's like this load that just goes out of you, away from you. You see, God's trying to get at that and pull it out. And we keep protecting it. No, God, I don't need that root taken out. I'll just cover it up or clip it off, put a flower on there dress it up, put it in a salad, whatever. Nobody wants to eat it. And he says, no, let me take that out. Let me clean you up. Let me surgically remove that from you so that you can be free. So that you can be free. Does that sound good? That's what God wants. That's what his love puts on display. So, forgiveness, first, we seek it from God. That's the beginning of taking that root out. And second, 
we begin to forgive other people. You know, your behavior can change. Your behavior, my behavior can change. It doesn't have to be the same forever and ever. You can grow. You can change. And God wants you to. And he's there to help you. But as a part of that goes, if you ask for forgiveness, then you need to be willing to forgive other people too. Whether you think that they deserve it or not. And if you ask the Lord whether they deserve it or not, he will tell you, yes, I forgive you continually. I clean you up and I set you back on a path continually. Why wouldn't you expect that I would want you to do the very thing? That kind of thing is easier with God. Is a much more mature than most of us, especially me. But my friends, if we do that, your world's going to change. You're going to see colors that you've never seen before. You're going to find new friends that don't irritate you as much as they used to. You're going to find that God has treasures, treasures at his side, but you'll never reach for them as long as you stay on your bitter throne. Never happen. So, verse 32 of Ephesians 4, and we'll wrap this up. He says, rather be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you. You see, when you hear it in that context, you think, yeah, I want to live in that world. Well, then let it begin in you. You start living in that world. You start letting God create that world in you and watch Him change everything. Today we take communion. It's the Lord's Supper. And so let's just do something this morning before we take the, the bread and the cup. Let's just pause for a moment. Right where you are, just bow your head and ask God if there's any bitterness, if there's anything in me, would you just please forgive me and show it to me, Lord? I don't want that to be a part of me for the rest of my life. I know it may take time to get it all out. It may take the rest of your life, but it's worth the struggle. So ask the Lord, Forgive me, Lord, forgive me for the people that I don't forgive and the bitterness that I've held in my heart. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us for putting ourselves on the throne and just being mad at everybody who doesn't do things our way. Help us heal the hurts, Lord, that precipitate that kind of sadness and anger. Lord, we also ask that 
He'd help us to restore things that have been broken. Help us, Lord, to forgive other people and, and really, truly learn to love people who think differently than us, who, who look different than us, who sound different than us. And to never be bitter, but to be asking the other question, how do I become a blessing to this person? Forgive us, Lord, for the things that we've done in rebellion and forgive us, Lord, for the things that we've left undone that you've called us to do. We come to your table, Lord, today uh, humbly but with confidence because we recognize our need for you. Our, our, Our lives, Lord, come from your hand. Oh, and how glorious and gracious you are to us. You have been to us. Oh, Lord, help us to spread it around to the glory and honor of your name forever and ever. Amen. Let's take the bread. We have Pastor Steve up here. Is there anybody that missed communion or miss anyone? This is a note. There are going to be folks in the back who have uh, boxes, and we, we always take up a collection for those who have needs. And then he took the cup after supper, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, of him. He's the gracious master who called us to his table and is willing to forgive. And he wants you to live free too. All right? Let's take this. Thank you, Lord. That is sweet. All right. Would you please stand with me? May the Lord bless you and keep you. God, smile on you and gift you. God, look each and every one of you in the face and make you prosper and give you peace. That's our prayer for this week. That bitterness wouldn't take a hold, but that root would dry up and die and blow in last night's wind. You know, I want to leave you with this thought. Nobody gets too much love anymore. If you need prayer, we'll see you after service. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time... 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.